Deplorable Nation, a podcast where your voices can be heard, where things that affect you and your family are important, because it's important to all of us. Every one of us matters and everybody has a voice. We're going to be bringing you news, current events, and throw in a lot of humor, and then you decide for yourself. Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of Deplorable Nation. I'm your host, Deplorable Janet. Today is episode number 81, Faith to Follow. Before we get into the episode and I introduce today's guest, I'm going to do my quick little commercial shout outs. Make sure you go to MyPillow.com. Use promo code Janet to save up to 66% off of your order. They are running a special right now. If you go to the website on mypillow.com, you can click on radio pod or radio uh, specials and you can save 50% off of the slippers. And yes, the slippers are amazing. So go do it. Also, go support my girl Jackie at freedomshopdirectory.com. She has a listing of all the Patriot-owned businesses that are uh, voluntary on her site. People submit them all of the time. So that keeps growing all kinds of goods and services for you. And also make sure you go check out Campfire Blend Coffee with my girl Shannon, campfireblend.com for the best coffee that you can possibly get in the B-Town Rub down whiskey coffee meat rub. It is chow chow. So anyway, on to the important business. <clears throat> Today I have a wonderful, wonderful guest. Thank, thank you and shout out to Juan from Truth and Media for hooking us up. My dear friend Agnew, how are you, love? I'm doing really well. Thank you for asking. I am so happy that Juan hooked us up because we have had some very amazing conversations. We have. It's been an incredible pleasure and a really refreshing, uplifting experience for me. Same, same, my dear. So tell the listeners about you and what your story is because your story is very, very interesting. Yeah, the story is indeed interesting. And it's funny you would say that it's only, you know, I'm turning 60 at the end of this month. And I am, uh, I say that only because I never expected to make it past 50. And the mm -hmm. fact that I'm turning 60 and I'm actually beginning to thrive. Like I've thrived in my life in the past. I'm really thriving now um, spiritually. And um, that is a miracle. And so um, the story is indeed an interesting story I'm starting to see. Now I have some hindsight. And um, um, basically, in a nutshell, uh, the, you know, I, I'm a child of the 60s, 
And um, I came out of a, of a out of a household where I had my father and mother divorced when I was a year and a half, and I came from Wyoming, and we came out to California. And um, my dad soon got married again. And uh, the thing that started my life, so to speak, was I was with my dad and his soon-to-be wife, and <clears throat> we had taken a drive into the mountains in the local mountains here in Los Angeles. And, uh, and um, I remember that day clearly with some other memories attached to it. <clears throat> and we went up to the mountains and we were driving along and I um, remember looking outside the window. I was in the back seat and seeing in my scope of vision. Um, so I saw this. It took up the enti- my entire field of vision. So. What I saw out the window was bigger, way bigger than our car. And it was like a, um, wow, the best way to describe it would be to, to say it was what looked like wet fish scale in abalone iridescent colors that was undulating. It was moving. It was like it was breathing. And it had flowing water going upwards instead of coming downwards all around the sides of it. It looked like water was flowing up. And I remember like being so excited by it because I can still see it as if it was yesterday. And I remember telling my dad and his wife, you know, hey, look, look, look. And I remember the distinct weird feeling I got when I noticed that my dad and June, they weren't their heads were totally facing forward. They weren't moving. The car had come to a stop. We weren't driving. And then that, then that's, and then it goes to a fractured memory of being with a bunch of other kids my age. And all I can say is that the, the thing that I take away from that fractured memory is that I was being given information, whatever that may be. It's the Mm -hmm. best way I can appropriate it. And then the next thing was me the next day standing at the window of my bedroom, looking up in the sky with this really, really, really lost feeling, looking up at the sky and asking them, quote unquote, why did you leave me here and when are you coming back? And so from there on out, I have, see, I'm, I had an argument with my, my, in, in junior college in psych 101, is, uh, I had a uh, argument with my professor and I had to take it all the way to the dean of the school and everything. It was a horrible thing, but I have memories from when I was a year and a half old on, clear memories. Oh. A and, lot of people do, and, and that, I find that very interesting. Well, she was she made claim that it was complete. That's complete hooey. You, it says so here in the book. <laughs> I'm like in the classroom. I said you can't. Of course, it's it says in the book that you can't possibly do that. <laughs> yeah, and so so because I have clear memories from my childhood. So yeah, so I just so that whole thing set me off in a whole whirlwind of seeing life differently. And I didn't know that. And, I, you know, I, I, I had a very spiritual experience about the same time when my grandfather died. 
I didn't know anything about God or Jesus or angels or anything like that. And I remember when my grandfather died that night, lying in bed, crying and crying, crying myself to sleep. And I can clear as to this day, still to this day, remember hearing like literally like a chorus of angels and they lullabied me to sleep. And that's a, that was a very powerful experience for me. And I was like four. So being that you've had multiple experiences like this throughout your life, what do you think the message was that th- was trying to be given to you? Do you know? Well, I think that I was given a series of messages. It's, you know, at about the same time, I also remember going into kindergarten and being asked many times by people, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I would tell them inevitably, I either wanted, because my uncle was becoming a well-known actor in Hollywood, I either wanted to be an actor or or I wanted to be something else. I can't remember what I would say. And what I would see in my mind when I was telling them that, this is the weirdest thing. You know, this all might be just, you know, I've always said, you know, this all might be just manufactured uh, memories, Agnew, but I kind of doubt it. I would see in my mind's eye, me standing in front of a mass of people talking to them when I would be asked, what do you want to do? So um, I, I believe that I was being... I don't know. I believe I was being conditioned. I believe I was being reassured. I believe I was being watched, so to speak. Like I've always, since that experience, I've always felt watched over. Not by God, literally. I've felt watched over by something else in a good way, not in a constricting way. So let me ask you this. If you, if you saw yourself like speaking to a crowd Uh um, and you know, the Bible talks about um, different gifts that God gives us and, you know, there's a, a prophet, there's a teacher you know, there's all kinds of things that, that are, you know, talked about in the Bible that are gifts from him. Right. Do you see yourself in one of those roles? Yeah, I do, actually. And I see now, especially after having listened to that one guest that you just had on, I realized listening to him that there are so many of us that are here right now. Mm-hmm. And so I'm one of many. I think the word prophet now is getting, it's getting turned up. So there's prophets of old were, you know, rare and few and far in between. I think now in the times that we're in, that whole idea of what a prophet is, is being the whole, it's being, you know, kicked up in, you know, like it's being, we're, there's a lot of us here now. Right. And you know, um, it's interesting to me, like the the various gifts that people are given, you know, and I know I have a couple different ones, but um, uh, 
you know, talking about in Corinthians, you know, when it says that um, everybody basically is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good, which means that all of us are actually born with God inside of us. Exactly. You know, and then, you know, we're also given other things outside of that. And a lot of people haven't discovered their gifts yet or are um, like denying their gifts or not thinking that they're gifted. And, and I think a lot of that has to do with not having the, the faith that they need to have to see their gift clearly. Yeah, I think, and I think that that's, I think that that's, um, that whole idea is a artificial construct that's been placed on people's brain, like braces on their brains, because mm-hmm. through the, especially the last hundred years of Rockefeller style, um, Tavistock, you know, education right. and culture, because right. people have been enculturated to not go inside, to not to to not do anything creative. Absolutely. Right. Oh, absolutely. I mean, that was a pivotal turning point for my life. I was studying fine arts at Otis Parsons Fine Arts College for nearly a year, pulling C's and D's. I wanted to be an artist so bad. And they told me, you know, you haven't really... You don't have any sense of color. You don't have, you know, you're blah, 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 blah. You should like split. And mm-hmm. so I attended, then I attended very quickly UCLA's landscape architecture program. And I said, this wasn't for me after my first lecture with my professor telling us all a story about what happens when landscape architect designers do a job and then how it gets ruined when they're in the construction and the uh, building of it, and it'll get ruined, and nobody will care. Mm-hmm. And I was like, "Well, that's not for me." So, and so I was convinced I had no talent. And the, you know, the, and I discovered, you know, well, not too long after that, you know, my talent as an artist, and ended up having two shows and selling all my work, and you know, doing really well. And you know, so um, I was lucky that and blessed not lucky I, I don't that i shouldn't have used that i was blessed in as much as that i was able to get out of that construct that everybody mm-hmm. else had and i owe that all primarily to my dad because also in kindergarten i was pretty unusual for a kindergartner my dad this was the 60s and the asian flu was out and i remember clearly hearing something in the news and asking my dad, you know, out of fear, what do I do? What do I do if I get the Asian flu? And he said, you just don't just tell yourself you're not going to get it. You're not going to get it. It's whatever you believe. Mm -hmm. Just tell yourself you won't get it. So I took that to heart. You know, I was also singing marijuana, marijuana, LSD, LSD, professors make it, teachers take it. Why can't we, why can't we at in kindergarten and teaching that to the kids in kindergarten, I was a little advanced and so, you know, I, 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 so, and my dad also taught me to always question authority. My father was a hairdresser and, and he hung out in Laguna with Timothy Leary and all these people, you know, this is all during the sixties and he was hip and cool. And, um, yeah, so I didn't have a typical upbringing, even though I was growing up in a very waspy neighborhood in Newport beach, you know, in, in the sixties and seventies. 
Well, you know, you said two things that um, I want you to seriously think about. The first one being um, the vision in the car in in the rear view, uh-huh. uh, where you saw like the scaly, but it was bright colors right. and stuff. That was a message to you at that time, because what did you become? You became an artist that works in colors and that loves colors, right? And you're you're seeing all of these bright colors and you know how light affects it and things like that. So I want you to keep that in mind, right? But the sec the second thing is, um, <laughs> and we'll get into this more in a minute. But when you were singing that song in kindergarten, <laughs> right? <laughs> you kind of willed that shit into existence. <laughs> and there's a story that goes with that because I'm the only person I know that grew up from that that time wanting to basically do drugs. By the time I was in sixth grade, my secret, secret desire was to grow up to be a drug addict because I thought, A, they wore dark sunglasses indoors, and B, they were cool. And, I'm not, that's what, and I, that's where, as serious <laughs> as I can get with it. Like, that's as, where, like, I rem- where did you get that impression and, from? And I, well, I remember being, <laughs> still being really kid, young, like six years old, going to the airport with my dad and uncle one day, and we could smell pot in the parking lot, and they were making a joke about it. And I was, I was thinking to myself, I can't wait to smoke it. And then I remember seeing ads for, you know, these slogans, speed kills. And I remember thinking to myself, I can't wait to do that. Like, I want to do that. So, so I came here. I was thinking about this here today earlier. I came here with a predisposition, with a great big desire to do a massive amount of drugs. Mm-hmm. That's a big that's part why, of my life. That's why that that struck me so funny. I was like, boy, did that really, I mean, talk about manifesting. Oh, yeah. No, it was already so- there. I didn't manifest it. That was a manifestation of who I already was. <laughs> I definitely, oh, I, you know, we carry who we are from one life to the next. When we die, we don't drop, our personality doesn't just drop off into the netherworld. We carry all those traits that we are when we, when we die, we carry to the next, to our, into our next existence. So mm-hmm. I definitely know I brought that with me. Like I came here with that stuff. That's why I never considered myself to have, even though I look like the most raging drug addict you could know I was also highly functional and you would never know to look at me that I did those kinds of drugs. Never know to look mm-hmm. at me. Never, not even look at my life. You know, oh, well, he doesn't like, that would be the last. People knew there was something wrong with me, but they never could point that, point that out. So when, when <clears throat> did you start doing drugs? Um, well, real drugs. I started doing when I was 16. LSD. I started taking LSD. And why did you start? Uh, because I wanted to do LSD and I wanted to have fun. And that's well, I didn't know because some people it stems from trauma um, or you know something catastrophic in their life or whatever makes them turn to drugs. Yeah, I that's why I didn't know if there was a purpose. <clears throat> no, I I told you like really. So when I say like I came here predisposed to wanting to get high. I like vibrated that stuff. Like it was going to come to me 
with or without trauma. And I came here with some major, I went through some major trauma in my childhood, some serious trauma. And, um, and it had nothing. So I, it's never, I never was trying to medicate my pain away. I, I have mm-hmm. a high threshold for pain. I wanted to get high. I mean, it's basically, mm-hmm. it, it, there's no, there, with me, that's what makes me unique in the sense I've known a lot of people that have done a lot of drugs in the past. And um, they, you know, they had trauma. And I've done a lot of therapy. I've done a lot of inner work. I've done, I meditate. And I know clearly, no, this for me was, I'm, a, I'm an oddball out. I came here predisposed to that was like one of the reasons why I wanted to live was so that I could get high. So what, if you don't mind, uh, Ask anything, talking yeah, yeah. To, if you don't mind talking to me about it, what happened in your childhood that was traumatic? Um, well, the, and I didn't know that it was traumatic until later. Um, I had, so my, so, okay. So real quickly, I come from a family that is, has, I have an incredible bloodline, uh, a great history. People, you know, hook, you know, my, you know, cooked up to the, you know, one of the signatures of my, of the constitution I'm directly related to, you know, great family, a lot of mental illness and a lot of incest and a lot of, um, gaslighting we'll just say for lack of better word and so my uh my grandfather his his parents were brother and sister and so he married my grandmother who had been raped repeatedly by her father from the time she was 12 until he was she was 18 he had been locked in closets and brutalized and, and tortured and starved and so those two people got together and got married and had three children, one of which was my dad. And in that marriage, there was insane, dark, like, I mean, insanity. It, I mean, you, I mean, you can imagine the worst and you, and it's not even that bad. Uh, it's even worse. So I was raised by somebody who came out of that, who my father was brutalized as a child. And um, one of the things that happened to the kids was that they were all molested. And so when I, and so my dad moved to my with me moved me into my grandmother's when we left my mom. And so I was molested by my grandmother and she sexualized herself around the house a lot as a kid, meaning like we lived at the beach and so she sunbathed nude in front of everybody. And um in the 60s that was like, you know, like what? And um to right, me, no, that was taboo. Yeah, and to <laughs> me, it was like, you know, like, so I didn't understand until way later that I had been molested by her. Uh, what had happened to me later, though, that was more traumatic was I was raped when I was 17, and that was really seriously bad with, like, a loaded shotgun and a gun to my head and blindfolded and gagged, and, and it lasted for, like, 18 hours I was tied up and um I you know that was because I was doing some bad stuff by the time I was 17 mm-hmm. I got myself in a position where I you know I had a really 
interesting life starting <laughs> starting at about 16 when I was basically finished with high school I did I I came a month away of uh, finishing uh, senior my senior year in high school I was like you know this is ridiculous and because I always did really well but I just didn't apply myself I was like you know school was for me ridiculous and um mm-hmm. yeah so that's how it started out for me. I started doing drugs then. I was doing a lot of LSD. I was doing cocaine, smoking. I never considered cannabis drugs. So, yeah, I was just doing a lot of cocaine and LSD. So where did you Quaaludes. where did you get the money to do that? Well, that's a whole other story. I'm writing this all down. I, I have started a book. Um, so uh, my girlfriend, uh, the one I told I'm talking to you about today. Uh, mm-hmm. She and I grew right. up together. She came from an alcoholic family, broken kind of family, and um, so we um, we got into some we got into some what we'll just call grifting, and um, we got involved with people's credit cards that were given to us, and um, we spent a lot of money, like. Mm-hmm close to a hundred thousand dollars and uh we had them for almost a year we had rental cars we were going to nightclubs and we were living in an apartment by ourselves as adults and you know i had like fake id she had fake id um we were at the job that i worked at this gas station i was i was stealing from the gas station she had a job where she was stealing from and we were just grifting, basically. And uh, that's where we were getting all the money for all that. And then we got arrested, and that all ended. Mm-hmm. You know, that, for that, you know that, all, that chapter of my life, at least. You know, we were um, incredible. We got arrested. I, I'm not, you know, I'm, I, don't, people, I don't care if people know. We got arrested on five felony counts. And... We got all of those counts dropped to one count of petty theft, and we had and we had that waived, and we were only put on one year's probation. <clears throat> and uh, there was extending extenuating circumstances because of the fact that you know we were going to just turn around and sue the man whose credit cards that we had because you know we could sue him for statutory rape and contributing to the delinquency of a minor and he was a councilman running for you know a, a, a city ah, office a politician he was married politician angle right, right. he was married <laughs> and we said you know we can just come out with this and let his wife know that you know because you know contributing to the delinquency of a minor and statutory rape because she was not 18 she was mm-hmm. 16 i was 17 we were really doing some bad i have some like bad stuff in people's eyes like we were doing some bad stuff like we were having fun i mean really having fun and we you know both knew that one day we would pay for it and i know i have and uh so yeah it's uh it's it started out it wasn't a good start to life that's for sure for most people <laughs> so <clears throat> on top of that guy being a politician do you think that um you're your family's notoriety had anything to do with Oh no, with- my family had nothing. No. My my family his name was dead by the time my grandmother uh had her children. 
she comes from gotcha. a really, really high East Coast family, you know, you know, on the social register and all that, a whole mm-hmm. huge big bloodline, the Whites and the Shermers. And yeah, they're, um, and uh, yeah, but no, my family was broken by then. All right. So I just had to ask. Yeah, yeah, I don't mind. You know, yeah, that yeah. just popped into my mind. <laughs> that would so be great. How, how long were you into drugs? I, well, I, and so, so what happened was then soon while I was living in that apartment with her, I remember I met this guy there that introduced me to shooting cocaine. And so I started shooting cocaine. So I was 17. And then, and I was really proud of the fact that I learned how to shoot cocaine. And I remember calling friends of mine saying, guess what? I learned how to shoot cocaine. Oh yeah, really? Well, why don't you come over? We'll shoot some up. Like, it was like that. And uh, my girlfriend, Casey, was horrified that I was shooting it. And, um, and so things changed. And so that was living in Orange County. And then I moved to Los Angeles. And uh, I continued. Then I started shooting. Back then, in the early 70s and the early 80s, up until about 1990, 91, the methamphetamine that they were making then is not the methamphetamine that people are doing now. It mm-hmm. was a completely different drug. And um, so I started doing that, and I had a voracious cocaine habit when I did it. So I never got in the habit of doing cocaine because I, had, I did so much speed. When I did cocaine, I had a bad habit of it. So I would do some and I might do some for four or five days. Um, and um, my motto then and for the, most of the years was, who wants to be high on life when you could be high on drugs? It's really how I looked at it. <laughs> and um, I was an uncommon user of, of substances. And I also did a lot of MDA. And I also took a lot of quaaludes, and I also dropped a lot of LSD. I, I dabbled in uh, PCP, never liked it. Heroin, wouldn't do it. You know, um, uh, anything that made me feel sleepy or took me down, I'm like, no. Or anything that took me out of my body, I'm like, no. Just, you know, the cocaine and the methamphetamine. It's funny. To me, the methamphetamine made me feel like what I imagined normal people felt like because I was highly insecure as a young man and as Mm -hmm. a middle-aged man too, really insecure, everything about me. And, um, cause I was, I was of the belief by the time I was 20 that I was a loser. So, you know, by my, uh, my, by my own making, not by, I didn't feel victimized by life. I just felt like, Oh, you're just a loser. You know, and look what you do. You do loser things. You know, shooting drugs is for losers. But I had too much fun. I didn't, you know. So being of the mindset that you're a loser, you're just like, oh, well, I'm already a loser. I'm just going to keep going. Yeah, I just keep doing what loser things do. And even though I knew, see, the thing was, is that deep in my heart, I knew I wasn't. I knew that I was Mm -hmm. just basically lying to myself. I, you know, I got used to lying to myself, like I got used to like, you know, going to work every day or, 
you know, eating mm-hmm. food every day. I got used to lying to myself like that. I lied to myself really well. And I think a lot of it too is making excuses for yourself, for your own behavior. Right. Like you I know, would, and I think, I think a lot of people get, get sucked into that little uh, black hole. Right. And I was blessed in as much as that I saw that it was not hip or cool or right to ever blame any of my behavior on my drug use. If, you know, that would be like saying, oh my God. I mean, you blame the match for starting the fire. No, the match didn't Mm -hmm. start the fire. You started the fire with the match. So Mm -hmm. I'm not going to blame my anything that I ever did on anything in my drug use. No, I'm clear. I knew, I knew what it was going to cost me. I just, Right. And I knew and I knew what the price was and it was like, well, that's okay. You know, I'm going to rather live now than live in regret. And I am so glad for me personally that I followed my heart's heart on that because what happened was by the time I was around 30, I remember seeing on Oprah one day at my in my boss's office, he had it playing, an episode called Do What You Love and the Money Will Come. And I had been working in the design industry and these great jobs here in Los Angeles working, you know, I did had great jobs. And I was and I realized through a series of events at work that I was not going to go anywhere in this job that I had like I was limited. And I knew I didn't have any what you people call formal education. And I, you know, and so I, what am I going to do? And this guy talked about doing what you love the most and then Mm -hmm. going out and following your passion in life and doing that. And like, you'll make a lot of money. I was like, well, God, that certainly sounds like that. That that, it, it sounds reasonable. It sounds like it makes sense. Like that doesn't sound too far off. And so, so I was at this point in my life where I was, you know, what, uh, people call your Saturn return and everything. And I always start, you know, everything was being questioned. And, um, and I started to think, well, yeah, what is, what am I made of organically that I could go out there and do with me and take to the, and what is in me that I can bring to the table without an education and without anything, what's in me that, you know, that I can do what, what I could do. What mm-hmm. am I, you know, what makes me happy? So I started thinking about that. I was in therapy. I was going to the gym all the time. You know, I had a great crew of friends, you know, socially and all that stuff. And um, I I decided, well, you know what? I've been off meth for 11 months and all I can do is think about it. I'm going to start doing meth and I'm going to start doing drugs until – and I'm going to do drugs. I'm going to do meth until I either – Get it out of my system or I find what it is that I love the most because I know that I love doing that. So I'm going to start at the most base, base level that I can start at and I'm going to go from there. And maybe, hopefully, it'll lead my, it'll lead me to that. And it did. It actually, I, I, you know, people in my life thought I was crazy. Everybody thought I was crazy. I mean, I literally walked away from my job. I, I I soon let my apartment go. I stopped going to the gym. I stopped going to therapy. I stopped seeing all the friends and I started hanging out with this drug dealer and I started getting high all the time and just, and you know, and selling drugs and getting high. And that was all I did. And, uh, that soon led me into a, a, a a certain, you know, set of events, like a perfect set of events 
that a perfect <laughs> set of events that led me to discovering my talent as an artist that I had just a few years earlier been told, you can never make art. You can never do this. You can't, you know, you don't have any talent. And I, and you know, within a year's time of my discovering my talent as an artist, I had my first one man show. Yeah, that's, that's so impressive, but I have to say um, the, the show on Oprah and the advice you heard on Oprah, you really took that to heart. Oh. <laughs> I took it. I, I knew I had no, if I could have started anywhere higher than doing drugs, believe me, I would have. I, it's just that I had never at that point in my life at 30, I had, all I had done was just have a lot of good time in Hollywood, met all the movie stars, worked with all the movie stars See, you know, had all the fun, went all the concerts, did all the fun. I had all the fun. I never really had like any, hadn't executed anything on like any self interest. It was all peripheral outside stuff. So, mm -hmm. so I, yeah, so I hadn't, I, I, I was like, I like reading. I don't, you know, I, I was always reading. I had all books never left my side throughout all of this. And, and, you know, I, you know, I thought well, I could read all the time, but that wouldn't make sense. So, you know, I, the next thing was, well, drugs and I'll just, I'll just get high until I find my way. Like, and I believed, I believed in my heart of hearts that that was going to work. I really think that that had a lot to do with it. Mm -hmm. So it's really interesting, like how you became clean and how you kick the habit, because you said, you know, when, when you took this advice to heart and you're like, well, that's all I'm going to do full time. It's just drugs. Um, and you're, you know, quitting, uh, going to rehab and therapy and all of that stuff and how you came to overcome your addiction is fascinating. <laughs> so I'd like you to share that. Well, so I just, so I continued doing this. So I was in my thirties. So I, and I remember telling my uncle, I said, I'm going to do whatever comes first. I'm going to do drugs until I either die or I'm going to do it until I get it out of my system. I personally know so many people in my life that are in AA and they're in NA and they're, they're la, and mm -hmm. they all, you know, they're all lot and lot. And, and I'm like, yeah, well, yeah, well, you don't understand everybody. I marched to a different tune and I'm going to do mm -hmm. my way. And so I think my way is smarter than your way. And so my way says, get it out of your system, get it out of your system. Well, over the years, I, I stopped, I gave up smoking cigarettes in 2005. I got it out of my system. I was done smoking. I stopped doing cocaine like way back in the 90s. I got out of my system. I was done doing cocaine. You could like, in the 90s, you could have put a pound of cocaine in front of me. I was like, yeah, I'm done. I, um, I, you know, and so I, I, by the time I was in my mid 40s, I believed I wasn't going to make it past 50 because I didn't see anywhere end in sight for my love for meth still. So I I was like was pretty predisposed that yeah, by the time you get to 50, you're not going to you're not going to be around. Something will, you know, you know what happens to people that continue doing drugs like you. You know what happens in jails, institutions and death. It's always what happens. You've seen it for everybody around you, which I did. I mm -hmm. saw everybody around me perish. 
And so I continued doing them. And what happened ultimately was uh, I, I, I started practicing yoga and, um, I, and I was, and this was in 2013. And, um, what happened was, is that I was by that now I was, I was a once a monther meth use user, uh, <laughs> cause primarily all my life I was just, you know, I just did, I ran for weeks where, you know, daily, you know? And, and so for me, once a month was like a responsible user. And I was learning at this point in time to be responsible is 2013. So by that time I had, it had been 32 years. I stopped shooting meth in 2012. So I was becoming more responsible at this point in my life. My mindset was shifting and I didn't know it then, but I was all my life. I had been seeking God all my life. Mm-hmm. I've been an Episcopalian. I became, I came close to converting to Islam. I've done Dianetics, Life Spring, Spring, uh, Spring Est, uh, you know, the Forum. I have read so many, but I've done, I, I've like, I've always been searching for God. And so mm-hmm. um, I started this yoga practice and um, I was still doing math. And the practice started to change me from the inside out unknowingly. And so I had been, I hadn't started meditating yet, but I had been studying the lessons that I study. And so three years passed and 2016 came New Year's Eve and I did a little bit on New Year's Eve. And then, and then it was about, I don't know, 10 months, eight, nine, 10 months, somewhere around there later that one day I realized, oh my God, oh my God, you haven't had any meth in your system for like such and such amount of time. Like, and it was an out of body experience almost because for me, that's 36 years of constant methamphetamine use with one 10 month break. (laughs) Now Mm -hmm. you look at most Mm -hmm. people, I look at most people that did meth for that long, if they're around and you don't, it's like, Oh my God, I can really see that. You look at me today. You would never guess as then that I was, I had done that to myself. And I, I think it's fascinating um, that you were just like, you know what, I'm just going to do this until it's out of my system that is pretty much how it works because if you don't have that mindset, um, you'll never stop. Right. And that, and that's the same for cigarettes or, you know, partying all the time with, you know, alcohol or or whatever the case may be. It's desire. you, You know, and even if you go to therapy, um, Therapy can't change what's in your head exactly. and it can't change your desires and you, and you have to get that out of your system right, yourself. Right, right, right. And I think, and I've thought about this long and hard, like I thought, what has made me, what has separated me uh, from the so many people? And I thought it's, well, you know, I, you know, I have had, I've been hyper aware of my drug use all my life. 
And um, I have done a lot of therapy. I've always attempted to do self-help work. I have not ever been somebody who just was floating. And I think mm -hmm. that that huge has made a huge difference in my getting through all these years. Right. I was always and, and searching. Well, well and two... Um, which you and I have talked about this before, the need for knowledge, right. um, you know, through reading or, or listening or whatever the case may be, um, the more knowledge that you acquire and attain, uh, the, the more expansive your life gets. Right, right, right. The more expansive indeed. And I'm just now discovering how important it is for me because it, my daily yoga practice is the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. And it's the biggest struggle I've ever undertaken. And this mm -hmm. struggle is the, and I've never had received more joy from struggling ever in my life than I do from this struggle. So it's a joy to struggle. And I'm finding out that, oh my gosh, I just, I, okay, I, I just had a brain fart there. <laughs> <laughs> That's because you're talking to me. It's contagious. <laughs> um, what, were, just, what were we saying really quickly? You were talking about meditation oh, yeah. and how much of a struggle it is, but it's joyful at the same time. Right. It's been a struggle. And so in the struggle, I have, I have, I have been able, my consciousness has shifted. So mm -hmm. I, so I, like, in other words, I'm not, so, so far, I haven't succeeded in meditating yet. In the meditation that I'm, I'm, I'm studying, I haven't, because that means when you have ceased thoughts in your mind and your mind is completely right. empty of thoughts, that is a hard place to get. And that mm -hmm. requires a lot of effort. And so the struggle that's just that I'm having from that has altered my consciousness in such a way that it's a miracle. And so I'm like, I, like, I know that we, you were talking about this in your last episode about, you know, everything happened in my life for an absolute mm -hmm. harmonious, perfect reason. Like right. it was there, Absolutely. like everything I did. I don't live with any regrets. Mm -hmm. I could put my hand in Jesus's hand right now and say, let's go. I, and say bye because I've had such a great time. I mm -hmm. I um I wouldn't suggest the way of life that I've lived to anybody else. <laughs> I would suggest probably not. I would suggest to follow their heart, and I just followed my heart. I came here specifically set up with a karmic set of tendencies for a reason to do all these drugs. Like mm -hmm. that was a personal thing for me. I would, though, suggest that people do what's in their heart because that's what was always in my heart. Even in doing all those drugs, that's why they didn't damage me. I, it's all, I've, I've lived life through my heart, and I believe that through my, my heart means that God's been leading me through this entire time. He's patiently been waiting for me. I can say truly now that after all these years of seeking him, I have found him. Now the opportunity is to know him.
And that takes work in itself. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. But it's a, and it's a step up for me. And so I feel I like I I couldn't ask have asked for a better life, a better set of circumstances. And um, even in the times that we live in now, and the incredible times that we live in now, it's a masterful blessing to be able to continue on your journey and have enough self-transformation that you're able to see it in that lifetime. Because most people evolve very slowly and don't get to, right. you know what I mean? They, we, they, don't get right. to, it's true. they don't get to see any growth in their own personal life. When I mean growth, I'm talking about working on your own ignorance. Yourself. Yeah. yeah. Your own ignorance. It's that, it's that inner work that everybody needs to do. Right. Um, to become who they are meant to be. Right. And to let go of um, their ego and, and materialistic things and um, stuff. Right. Just worldly stuff. Yeah, worldly and stuff. And focus, focus on who you are inside as a person. Right. Um, and, you know, thinking before you speak you know, thinking before you act, mindfulness um, for your relationship with God, mindfulness for um, the way you treat others, right. you know, the whole nine yards. That's all. Right. It's all part of the same journey. Right. But let me ask you a question. When did you find God in all of so, this? Uh, I found him. I found him. It's been that has been a in a hinds. I can answer that in hindsight. So it wasn't one day. I've come to know that I have found him. I no longer. In, in other words, I've sought him all my life, and mm-hmm. and in the in the instructions that I'm being given in the in the yoga that I I, I study, I have learned where God is. I. Through knowledge, and this is the thing that I think I was going to say earlier, is that knowledge is. Oh, this is exactly what I was going to say that I forgot. I was going. To, I wanted to say knowledge is the power right now. Knowledge, mm-hmm. not intuition and and realization, which is completely different. Which I work to achieve. It's knowledge that keeps my edge in my 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 religious what I call you know, daily life, my struggle Mm -hmm. to know God and to live to please God and to do my best to live by the golden rule and to do my best to improve myself, do my best to be an asset to the community I live in, the people in my family close to me, all of that stuff. Um, Mm -hmm. The knowledge that I have from the books that I've read (laughs) gives me the edge to keep going because Faith is sometimes not easy for any of us to have mm-hmm. when times get crazy as they are. Right. And I've had an immense shift. Since I was thinking about this today. When we had that major lineup of planets in 2019, just before the pandemic, they there was a I I experienced like since then a huge shift in my consciousness because you know we've talked about you know drama in our lives i've always mm-hmm. been highly dramatic 
I've always, I always, I had a worry bush wherever I went, you know, and I had a worry bush. I picked worry berries like nobody's business made worry berry tea, worry berry pie, (laughs) you know, worry berry berry jam. You need worry berries. I got it for you. I was a worrier (laughs) and that was a bad habit I broke. That was one of the, one of the biggest habits that was it's an unconscious habit for so many of us Mm -hmm. it's an unconscious habit that i was taught unconsciously by my grandmother and right and nourished it all my life i have been able to give that up like that was harder than giving up cigarettes Mm -hmm. i've given that up and that's true because it's so ingrained in in so many people you know a lot of people nowadays are like, oh, don't give into the fear. It's fear porn. But so is worry. Worry oh, is yeah. no different. Oh, yeah. Than go- giving in, giving in to the daily amounts of fear that are propagated on society. It's the same thing. It's the same thing. And it's like, it gets you to uh, put negative energy into, oh my God, how am I going to pay this bill? How am I going to do this? Right. How am I going to do that? What if so-and-so doesn't like right. me? What if they don't accept me? What if I don't get that job? Right. It's all the same thing. It's fear-based. Yeah. Yeah. And when totally. you, when you stop, when you stop thinking about things like that, because they're minuscule and it doesn't matter. Right. Because if you, put positive energy towards stuff instead of the negative energy. Right. Uh world is the world is so much simpler. Oh, absolutely. And and the drama the, the drama goes away. Right. And the miracle in this is that I hear you say that saying, right, right. I could have told you this when I was 25. I'm just mm-hmm. now, finally in the last few months, actually living it. And it's a Lit- I was going to say, listening, listening to it for yourself. I mean, you heard it before, yeah. But then you ignored the message, right? Right? Yeah, I know that. See, a see, lot I of people do that. I already know that. So, since I already know that, I'm going to sort of put it off until later. It requires too much work. I don't want to be responsible. It's you know that kind of thing. It's easier to just put my head in the sand, right. you know, la 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 la, and you know that's mm-hmm. for later. Yeah. So the miracle right. is that I don't see my existence like that anymore. And that's a miracle mm-hmm. because I didn't choose to change that way. And that is what I call having God in my life because Correct. I, he is doing for me. I'm willing to do the work. He is doing things for me that I wasn't willing to do for myself. I mean, he's changing my own will. And that's the only thing that I really ask of him other than to know him is please change the way I think. Please change Mm -hmm. the way I think. Please change the way I think, you know. And you and I talked about this earlier today, um, but I wanted to make sure that we bring this up is that there needs to be a realization in how people pray. Because Absolutely. there's a right way, there's a right way, and there's a wrong way. Absolutely. You, so uh, tell them, what is the wrong way? Well, it, it's it, it's simple and it's complicated. It's paradoxical. It is, most people pray to God when they're in super need of something. like. 
Mm-hmm. They don't have any concern for God until all of a sudden they, they need crash the car. <laughs> oh, mm-hmm. my God, please help yep. me get out of this mess, okay? Right. And I've had my own ex- direct experience praying to Jesus Christ. The first time I ever prayed to Jesus, I prayed like that. And he literally mm-hmm. answered my prayer that day. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't, in looking back, did I believe that he was going to answer my prayer? I don't think so. I just had mm-hmm. nothing else better to throw out in the moment. So having right. said that, I think that most people pray to the, they pray, oh dear God, blah, 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 blah. most people, A, pray for things that they don't need a lot of the time. Right. That's one thing. And then right. another or that they want. Or they, or they, things wa- they yeah, want. Things they want. And, and, mm-hmm. and, and, and not, there's no, you know, people don't understand because we've been taught and led to believe we're, we're children of God. We don't have to beg from our father for something. We don't go to our father. Please, dad, please, dad, will you please? You know, no, we ask dad. Because we know most of the time dad's going to give it to us. If it's good for us, he's going to give it to us. That's how, that's how God works in essence. Right. And so you come to God believing like you're this little beggar and you don't really deserve it. And, you know, will we, but you know, will you please this just this once? And it's like, he's not going to respond. Right. And that's, it's so important for people to understand that is not about it should never be about what you expect um, as a needy, greedy person. Right. Which is exactly what it is. You should give thanks. Right. Um, for absolutely everything in your life, everything that you have. Um, give him your, if you have worries, I'm not, I'm going to use the word worry, but it's not really. Uh, give him your problems. Right. Um Thank him for being in your life. Thank him for loving you. Thank him for everything that you have. And don't focus on gimme, 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 gimme. Right, because you said it and you said it the other day in the in the other podcast, and I need to say it again. It, and he said it and it's so brilliant. It's about gratitude. And I'll right. tell you that's always. one of the blessings that I've been able to take on for myself. I always do that. Don't tell mm-hmm. me it's about gratitude. I know, I know. Well, now I know. It is ma- gratitude, my friends, right. is magic. It has magical powers in transforming mm-hmm. the quality of your consciousness in such a way that things right. that used to bother you, <laughs> things that used mm-hmm. to get under your skin, things that used to be a threat to you are no use to you anymore. Because I can give you a long list of things that I'm grateful for. And the list of things that are like, is so short. It's like, so which one are you going to focus on? The long list or the short list? If you're choosing Mm -hmm. to short, you know, to do the short list, then you have some some serious issues going on. It's the long list you're going to focus on. Right. And I've trained myself the hard way, which is, you know, constant reminding myself, you know, which is not easy to do, to be grateful. Right. And I'm grateful and it's, now. It's, and it's so important, um, like when you pray to, you know, like I said, give thanks for everything, be very grateful, um, very appreciative of all of that stuff. And when you do that and that's your focus and your focus is 
knowing him and thanking him for the relationship that you have, then everything else falls into place. You don't have to ask. You don't for have to ask, right? Anything else because it just comes. And he already knows what you're praying for. He knows before you're going to ask. He knows. He's, right. he's behind our thoughts. He's he's closer than our heartbeat. He knows. He knows. It's our mm-hmm. you hit it on the head when you said it's our relationship. And you're coming if you're coming at a relationship with your father of not being grateful for everything that he's already given you, and you're not mm-hmm. even asking to you're not even saying I love you by the way. And you know, right. and, you know in the prayer, I don't you know, I love you, God, and you're not even saying I love you, because the one thing that God does, God has everything except for one thing. Thing that he does not have that he patiently waits for and that's our love for him correct right that's the only yep. thing he doesn't I, have I, our love for him 100 percent um and so <clears throat> you know one of the things um for people to to focus on when they're trying to you know uh build their relationship with god or their spirituality or whatever name people want to call it, um, is learning to let go of your material identity. Yes. Which means, uh, cleaning out the clutter, not only from your physical life, but from your mental life. Uh, that means getting rid of, uh, negative people, negative surroundings, um, removing those things, which take your focus away from your inner world right. and your relationship with him. Right. Um, and, you know, <clears throat> removing material stuff because it's not about what you want or anything like that. It is about what you need. And you're always given what you need always when you need it. Always. And I've said this before and I will say it again. I am very blessed and I'm very thankful and very grateful for the fact that I get people sent to me or I come across or in contact with people when I need it and when they need it. And I get the message of what we're supposed to talk about. Right. And here's an example. Uh, We knew we were going to have this show today and usually uh, I always make a plan right. like uh, sometimes a week before the show, sometimes the night before the show, whatever. And we had not discussed what we were going to talk about. And I had already typed it up and printed it out, put it over by the computer. And this morning, which every day he sends me like devotional messages. And so this morning he sends me this message. And then we had a phone conversation earlier today and I was like, you don't know how much this was supposed to be the message today because I already put this in the show plan. <laughs> exactly what, exactly what you had sent me. And here's, here's what the words are that he sent me today. Jesus said, follow me and let the dead bury their dead. Jesus meant that the man who was bent on burying the dead was himself spiritually dead, 
without having noticed it. All persons who live a temporarily enjoyable life without ever piercing or excuse me, perceiving in communion with God, the everlasting joy of spirit are, are the dead while living. So, um, that is, and it goes on, let me finish it real quick and then I'll finish my thought. The physical life without spirituality can be spoken of as a variant of death. The physical life temporary and subject to death is not true life. Spiritual consciousness, eternal and devoid of death is the state of true life. Yes. And so I just want to say how incredibly important that was. And that was obviously a message that that was supposed to be put out today. Um, that was, you know, like God knocked on my head last night and was like, hello, talk about this. And then you sent me that today. Yeah. And here's what it made me think of. I had a former guest on um, and we discussed in his life, a point where, you know, he, he grew up uh, in the church, you know, things like that. And then he went through a phase where he was an atheist. Right. And during that phase, he was angry. He was bitter. He was aggressive. He got in fights all the time. Um, was really nasty to people constantly. Uh, and it wasn't until he started uh, stumbling across signs, basically, again, in his life, turning him back to God, um, where when he accepted God in his life again, all of those negative characteristics went away. Go figure. <laughs> and the drama went away. Um, the problems went away. And I can tell you from my own life, same thing, because um, I, I used to have the worry berries, too. <laughs> um, had a pantry full of worry berries all the time. Um, I love that saying, by the way. That's funny. And it was like I was a single mom for, you know, such a long time. And I was like, oh, my God, how am I going to pay these bills? Right. Where am I going to get the money for her school? Right. Where am I going to get this and that? And it wasn't until um, I had a near-death experience that shifted me back into, hey, your focus is not where it's meant to be. Right. Your focus should be on me and me alone and not this stuff. Right. Because that will be solved. Right. And it sure as hell was. Right. Um. Everything about my life changed in, in that particular moment because I grew up in the church. I grew up in, you know, Catholic church, Catholic school, the whole right, nine yards. Right. And then I lost faith right. because like we talked about, it was um, indoctrination and um, ritualistic and whatever. Right. And I never felt God there. Right. So I turned away from the church for quite a long time. Right. And then I had this experience and it changed my life right. completely. And we don't have drama. Uh, we don't have problems. We don't have fights. We don't have anything, you know, and, and here's a, for people like, uh, you really want this job. 
You really, really want it. You really need this job. That's it's going to solve everything. Um, that is putting focus into something that it, again is your want or your desire. Uh-huh. It's not what you necessarily need. Right. He will provide you right. with what you need. So if you don't get that job, that's fine. Right. Because that's a message to you that that is a door that right. was not supposed to be opened. Right. Which to take that it to for most people to hear you or me or anyone say, you know, trust that he'll provide you with what you need mm-hmm. is like the Always. alarm bells go off for most people. Ding, mm-hmm. ding, 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 ding. This, you know, this might be true for you. It can't be true for me. And that is, mm-hmm. that's, that's Satan. That's, that's like not true. So anybody that hears that that's not true for them, because I've heard those bells goes off for me. It's not true. And that's really important that people realize that God Mm -hmm. loves us all like he loves Jesus Christ equally. He loves Mm -hmm. all of us. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's, it's what you said is a hundred percent true because if you are like, la la la, I'm not listening after hearing that, um, you are being completely and fully deceived. Right. Completely. Because that's exactly the message that you should be getting is that, you know, when you follow down the right path and when you believe and when you have faith to follow, hello, the name of the episode today, and you give your complete and total faith over to him and your love and your appreciation, um, your consciousness raises your your uh, betterment of your soul right. happens. Right. And, and through having the faith to follow, know that everything is going to be the way that he wants it to be. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And also, you know, faith is not easily come by. Faith is like, right. faith is an exercise, a mental exercise a person needs to engage in to make it work. And, right. and, and, you know, I have had innumerable amounts of times in the past of my life where I have had direct evidence that God has been there for me. <laughs> and I mm-hmm. have questioned my existence up until very recently as if he mm-hmm. was never going to be there. Like, well, he's okay. Well, he was there for me all until then. And now that he's never going to, that's it. I run out of my, like my, my, you know, my dance card with God. Like he's never going to come for me again. Like I'm done now. Like he's, I'm, mm-hmm. I've been abandoned now. And it's just, you know, it's easy to get into that frame of mind because we're taught to do that. We're enculturated mm-hmm. to do right. that. The algorithms right. get us that way. The TV gets us that way. Our phones get us that way. The EMFs get us. I mean, we're so it's saturated right now. So it's 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 even harder on some level to tune out of all of this. And I've just mm-hmm. been. I listen. I I'm a good guy, but it doesn't. I'm not a good guy in as much as that. I decided to finally find God. God found me, and I was just one of those blessed people that He found that heeded the call. That's that's because He's always He's always been coming after you to get you back. He's calling after us all. He waits patiently for all mm-hmm. of us. There's no difference right. between me, you, or the man on the street. 
he's patiently waiting for all of us. Because like I said earlier, the one thing that he does not have is our love. He, right. he gave us free will to choose to either go away from him or to come towards him. It's He loves us so mm-hmm. much that he gave us our own individual free will. That's right. what makes us different from the animals. We do not go by instinct. We have free will. We're the highest form of being that can know itself. We can know our own souls. And we're, our, our, we are not our bodies. We are souls. The way I always like to look at it is God is the ocean and we are the wave. The wave and the ocean are one. The wave you know, rises up, has its little identity for a time, and then it goes back into the ocean. So right. I see as, you know, the ocean and the wave are one. God is expressing himself through each and end, every individual child that he has. And we're all his children. We're all made mm-hmm. in his image, perfect in his, in his eye. We're, you know, we're all souls right. and we're eternal. And you can't damage a soul. You can't chain it. You can't destroy it. It's eternal. We're eternal mm-hmm. beings. Yep. <clears throat> and I think it's beautiful. And I'm very grateful for that. I I seriously am because, you know, um, building me to be who he wants me to be and giving, you know, um, the blessing of his love in the first place. Right. You know, I I don't think there can be anything more beautiful. No, there is. I just really don't. And it's funny, too, because the, 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 the thing about my experience when, you know, I saw that ship when I was a kid, that was the first rabbit hole that I started going down when I was really young were UFOs. I was into that when I was 10 and I have read, I, oh my God, the UFO books I have read and everything that I have read in all the books that I've read, one of the many messages that were repeated over and over and all the times of any contacts with other people and other beings, whether other were other dimensional beings or other beings from other planets was this, I learned more about God and spirituality from those, from those books. And mm-hmm. I was they all their, all their message was always this. How can we change things to get them to come visit us? Well, you first all have to work on yourselves, your inner selves. You have to work on removing your ignorance. You have to work all that stuff. And knowing that you're one with the creator of the universe, that's what the term they use. So I I had a backdoor look at how the way I w- viewed God versus most people get introduced through the church. I remember as a kid, mm-hmm. I got taken to a Sunday school once. I was probably in first grade and I got, and it was, I went to this Sunday school and I was horrified because they had all these pictures all over the room of like um, the Garden of Eden and like this dead lamb and you know, all this stuff. I was like, oh my God, this is all horrible stuff. You're like, what the get heck? Out of here. Like, I don't want, like, this is like messed up shit. I don't want to be here. Get me out of here. And, you know, so yeah, I, I, um, I was, I was blessed. So that's what really started any interest that I had in God was always came through all the UFO books that I read. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think um, a lot of people, it's very different for them. And there are some people that will hear you say that and they'll be like, nope, nope, there's only there's God in heaven and he sits in the clouds in a right. palace and, you know, whatever. That's because that's <clears throat> what you were, you know, what was pounded into your right. head from 
the time right. we were old enough to remember. Right. And so, um, like other people are going to take that as an interpretation that, you know, well, they may have seen him in a completely different way. Right. Which is completely fine because guess what? We're all made individually and separate. Right. So your, your connection and your, the way you see it, uh, it's fine if it's different. Right. I know about 85% of the, I'm guessing this, I don't know, I'm just guessing. I'd say probably 85% of the Earth's population is, is, are, are the types of people that don't think beyond um, uh, what they're going to have for lunch, what they're going to eat for dinner, mm-hmm. maybe where they're going right. to go that weekend, what they're going to watch very on Friday nights. Um, I, I, I think that they live very, on the, on the real surfacey. And they don't ever like ever wonder like, gee, I wonder what that light is in the sky, or I wonder what may you know. It's you know none of that. And I think that's about eight, at least three quarters of the population. And I think probably that's been enculturated through Tavistock methods and things like that. Yes, I think so. Yes. I think not. I don't think that's a natural statistic. I think it's man-made, mm-hmm. but I still nonetheless right. think that that's the case. And that's because it. All of that has programmed us into an instant gratification society. Right. And and being in that particular type of world means that you're only focused on like the nose on your face and you can't see past it. Right. You know what I mean? Right. And it has to be now. And if it's not now, but if you think also uh, in the godly aspect of things, uh, that's going back to the devotional that you sent me today, you know, about um, things being uh, temporarily gratifying experience. Right. That's what they want you to be stuck in that world where you're, uh, you know, like. Uh, it's all about the five instant, senses. Instant, yeah, instant pleasure from, you know, whatever right, it is. Right. And that takes your focus away again right. from God and puts it into, you know, this Starbucks coffee or this, you know, whatever it is that you're seeing or smelling or, you know, <laughs> having intercourse right, or whatever right. you it's want all, to say. You know God, what I'm it's saying? All, it's all feeding somebody's olfactory, gustatory, tactile, tactile. it's all sensory. It keeps you body consciousness. And that's the one thing about God that when I used to hear things smart from smart people about God, the one recurring statement that I would hear in one form or another was, well, in order to know God, you need to go within. And that would always bug that Mm -hmm. out of me Mm -hmm. because it registered such a heavy, deep truth that I was like, yeah, no, I'm gonna. I know there's an outside portal somewhere, <laughs> and I'm gonna find that portal. And you know, you're gonna look for I'm a gonna, different and, door. And when I find that portal, I'll celebrate. I'll share it with you, and I'll show that you're wrong. I know that. I know it exists, mm-hmm. and it, that's too simple. That's too easy. That's just. I'm sorry, sir, but that's just not flying with me. And you know, mm-hmm. I have learned. You know, oh, guess what? If you want to know Guess God, what they were right. inside. that's where he's at. <laughs> you know, that's where he's at. All what is seems real is the unreal, and the unreal is the real. So 
you know, God is everywhere and he's nowhere at the same time. And he yeah. is inside of you. And that's the heart. And that's right. why, you know, in the meditation that I practice, that's my whole focus of my meditation is to know God, you know, and in my meditation, I'm primarily repeating to myself or trying to feel with my heart. I love you. I love you. I love you. It's only, I'm not, I'm not focusing. I'm not meditating on, you know, being stronger in my mathematics. I'm not meditating on, you know, getting a you know, better job. I'm meditating on, I love you. I'm meditating right. on my love for God because even that requires effort to build believe it or right. not it does we've been conditioned to not even to not even think of that on those terms and it's true but also i will say you can't love him unless you can love yourself right right and i have finally and you yeah and now you don't look at yourself the same way that you did before. No, because it's funny. <laughs> Real quickly, two years ago, I remember calling up everybody in my life because I remember I came to this radical realization that guess what? 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 I mean, it was like it was like Christmas, New Year's, everything. I'm not a loser. <laughs> I remember <laughs> calling people because I had a sudden massive realization one day that I wasn't a loser. See, because mm -hmm. all my life, I knew that I had all these great qualities. I came to life so gifted. I came to life with so many blessings, Janet, physical attributes in my life that I was, I was given everything. And I believed myself in my heart of hearts to be a loser. And that's mm -hmm. really not an you know that's a not an easy person to be around number one that's because you were being deceived into feeling that right way. right right mm -hmm. so for me when i realized that i was like you're not a loser and uh it was i mean it was like i i remember making calls to people guess what i'm not a loser everyone's laughing yeah well i knew that i was like yeah but you don't understand <laughs> i really believed like i believed that my name was agnew that I was a loser. And it's having these shifts in my perception that have been occurring for me, especially in the last year, with all the education I'm getting um, in the world, we'll use world education, and, um, mm -hmm. and my continued practice and my struggle in my practice um, and the blessing that I have to keep going my attitude has shifted in ways that I have seen it happen in other people in my life in the past and also knew that it more than likely wouldn't happen for me because more than likely I was never going to put enough effort forth in order to have that happen for me. I was never mm -hmm. going to have the desire and the will to say, you know what, I'm willing to forego something now to get something greater for later. I am. And, and look at you and now. look at me now. I mean, it's a literal miracle. And, you know, I had some friends of mine uh, ask me recently, in a, you, know, well, what, what, you know, not friends of mine, some acquaintances, and they were, I hadn't seen for a while. And they're, well, what do you attribute to all this? And I said, well, I'm actually, believe it or not, now when you ask me that question, I can't come up with anything other than I'm learning now to rely on miracles. Because mm -hmm. I can't pinpoint in my life and tell you 
well, this is what I did, and la, 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 la. And so as a result, this happened for me, and my consciousness shifted all blah, blah, blah. It's, you know, it's, like, <laughs> it's not happening like that for me. I would like it's to say it bullet. is. <laughs> it's not a bullet point presentation. It's not, and it's not linear. <laughs> it's not linear. And, you know, and, and, and so, uh, yeah, it's just I'm, I'm, miracles are occurring for me. I mean, my whole life has been a miracle. But you know what? That is because um, of what you've accepted into your life now and you've done that inner work. And so you are now getting back the bounty from your gratitude. Right. You know what I wish for most people, most people anywhere, anywhere, anybody on the street. You know what I wish for them was that they can What's say that? that their life has been a miracle. And, and, and I, listen, I've had dark times. I've had horror. My life has been a miracle. I wish that people just to have that kind of comfort and ease, even though I know I have all this, the fear, I have all the fear porn getting ready to play at all, at all times in my head, right? It's ready to go. Mm -hmm. It's loaded and ready to go. And, and, and yet it's like, well, yeah, but I've had a miraculous life. I wish that other I wish that other people could say what I say and have what I have in that regard with their life, no matter what it is. Because I'll tell you, for the most part, there's nothing special about my life. There's people that have lived really incredible lives, done incredible things. There are people like that right now that are doing incredible things that I'm awed over. So it's you know, it, I and it's yet I don't ever hear like. And my life has been a miracle. And I'm so grateful for this miracle. And I mm -hmm. wouldn't trade anything that I could perceive as anything being better than this miracle. There's nothing out there that I could say, well, if I had had you know, a mountain of gold and I had been really rich and famous and I'd been a philanthropist and, and my names were up and built life. I mean, no. The gift that I've been given in these, in these little miracles in my consciousness shift in the last year especially I, I, like i'm my cup runneth over see and that's the way i feel too because i'm always very grateful and very thankful for everything that happens in my life whether it's bad or good right um because it has made me in who i am right um it has taught me lessons along the way right and shown me um, what I want. And uh, don't take this wrong way because I'm struggling for lack of better words, but um, show me what I deserve. Right. Um, and so it's not so much, you know, my wanting or neediness. It's something that um, I deserve that's higher than that. Because I've I've learned and grown from what I was supposed to. Right, right, exactly. And I mean, currently in my personal life, I face enormous, scary cha challenges coming down the mm -hmm. pike. A huge things that two years ago were freezing my ass, where I couldn't get up out of a chair. And mm -hmm. now they are there, and it's like, yeah, but you don't understand. I've had a miraculous life. God is here all the time. Like, you don't understand. Like, you can set me on fire now, and I'm pretty much going to be like, okay, well, just as soon as the done, fire's done, I'm going to be done here, and I'll be with God. Like, like 
and I've exactly, had a, and I've had a great right? life. So let, so burn me, right? Throw me into the sharks, uh, you know. Throw mm-hmm. me off of a building, d- shoot me, uh, chop me up with an axe, and you know what? And I like I like you don't get it. See, I have something you cannot take away from me that's more valuable to me than even my own life. Hundred percent, I agree with that. Yep, and I'm the and I'm the same way because. You know, like a lot of people are still at that mindset where they've got the worry berries, right? Where they're uh, worried about dying or worried about loved ones dying or whatever. Um, We're not on our timetable, we're on his timetable. And when it is our time to go um, or a loved one's time to go, it's because uh, we've served our purpose here. Exactly. And, you know what I mean? And death is as natural as birth. And that's another thing right. that we've been taught to believe. Death is a human construct. We are eternal life. There is no, in eternal right. life, there is no death. Death is man-made right. construct that has, it's a limiting, it, it cuts up, it, it, it limits, it takes away the God aspect of who we are. It makes us right. mortal. There is no such thing as death. You right. just lose your body. You've had many bodies in the past. You're going to have more bodies in the future. You know, and, right. and, and, and you have them like cars. It's like you go from that's car to because, car. That's because we're spiritual energy yes, beings. Yes, we're eternal. We're immortal. Yep. We were never born and we will never die. We're a part of God. And he was exactly. never born and he will never die. We're a part of that. Not separate from him. We're a part of him. And that's what... That's the biggest trick that's been thrown upon our consciousness is that we've been led to believe that we're apart from God and we are not in any way, shape, or form. We are one with God. We're soul, our souls are a part of him. They're an extension of the same light and same energy that he is. And we're no different. The only thing different between God and us is that we're not God, in essence. We're not him. We have the same creative and dissolutive powers as God. We have all that same stuff. We just are not him. That's the only ultimate difference. Right. 100%. And I just want to tell you a couple of things. Number one, I am so proud of you. Um, You're such a beautiful person, and you are definitely worth everything and i'm so blessed and so lucky to to know you shout out again to juan for the hookup because i think you and i are going to be friends for a really long time yes i feel that you know and i thanked juan today i said thank you for opening me up to my new tribe Mm -hmm. and this has been a huge huge for me be able to be on his podcast and then to do this is like like it's better than like new year's and my birthday and christmas and you know a candy (laughs) shop and god it's you know this is this helps me to self-realize myself in a way that Mm -hmm. you know and i just it's you know and and it's a great contribution it's like you're contributing to me in a ways that like people haven't contributed to me so i mean it's to be asked is a, is a huge it's a huge honor like the way i see it 
Well, I, I just adore you. I love you to pieces and I love our phone conversations and, and the whole nine yards and I'm very thankful and very grateful for having you in my life. So thank you. I am too. So my dearest darling, thank you for joining me today. Where, where can people find you at? The easiest one is the uh, technocracy now 333 on Twitter. My Instagram account is like I've shared, you know, uh, is th- this is my last account. The communists have me so shadow banned and it's not lasting. It's not going to be there for long. And that's the only thing that I'm on. I'm going to create a telegram account soon. Another one. Wonderful. Yeah. But technocracy now three, three, three. That's the best place. Perfect. My dear. And again, thank you for joining me today. It was a pleasure and an honor. Um, And so for me and for Agnew, see you next time. Have a great day. God bless everybody.